Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hi everybody, it's Louis Mendez from Charlton Live here. We're very pleased to have teamed up with the Charlton Athletic Community Trust to host this bonus podcast on our feed. I'm going to hand you over now to Steve Sutherland to introduce his chat with Mr. Charlton himself, Keith Peacock. Charlton Live. Hi everyone, I'm Steve Sutherland and I'd like to welcome you to the first of a special three-part interview organised by the Charlton Athletic Community Trust. Now I'm proud to be an ambassador of CACT, which is working extremely hard running the community hub on behalf of the Royal Borough of Greenwich to support vulnerable local residents. And CACT staff are actually out now delivering food parcels, collecting prescriptions, providing other invaluable support at this difficult time. Other CACT projects have been adapted, such as the Football and Sports Development Programme and the Extra Time Hub for Older People to ensure that CACT continues to support the community in the way that it always does. Now, some of the older Charlton supporters might remember that back in the late 80s and early 90s, I hosted a Sunday night radio show called Charlton Chat, where each week I interviewed a Charlton Athletic guest. Now, there was one person who I never got to interview at that time. Uh, I think he was otherwise engaged, and we thought we'd rectify that today. So let's now have a Charlton Chat with a man who is just synonymous with Charlton Athletic, it's my fellow CAT ambassador. It's Keith Speakcock. Morning, Keith. Good afternoon, Keith. Good evening, Keith. <laughs> Hi there, Steve. Very good to hear you. How are you? It's great to be part of what CAT are doing uh, over the years and particularly at this particular time. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's quite admirable what, what CAT are doing. And we've got the Upbeats Walk as well. So, no, it's, it's incredible. But uh, this time we're going to talk about your career, Keith. So, um, um it's uh, it's been it's been a long association with Charlton Athletic Keith, isn't it? I mean, it started when you were fifteen, I think, Keith, didn't it? Uh, yes, when I was fifteen, I was uh, at Irish Grammar School, um, and really, when I look back, had no chance of being a professional footballer because I was at a rugby school. I had uh, spent eight months uh, with an injury to my knee where I couldn't kick a ball at all, um, but I managed to get a trial for Charlton. Just tell us a little bit about, because people won't really appreciate, the younger people might not really appreciate that there was no such thing as uh, as an academy structure or or, or a, uh, like CAT run, a development programme, where development centres where young talented young players are spotted. You had to be invited along for a trial in those days, Keith, didn't you? Yes, well, there was no youth team football as such, you know, when you were 13, 14, and, and even 15, you had to play for a man's, uh, men's team. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and usually, if you were going to make it in football, for example, by the time you were 15 to 16, you would have either been playing for the county side or play for England schoolboys, and you'll get signed up by a professional club. Um, because I was at a, a rugby school in the main, and we played a little bit of football, um, I was kind of quite a way behind, but I I was uh, a, a decent footballer. 
Um, but my school teachers really said you have, haven't any chance of becoming a professional. But that was my my dream. That was your spur, like, really. Players have. To, um, but and I thinking about it, Keith, you not you hadn't you had that injury. You hadn't played for uh, the whole of Kent, or indeed, or indeed England kids had youth team had you England schoolboys. So. Um, your teacher saying that was quite understandable, really, wasn't it? Quite understandable. He said, uh, obviously, the best thing, which would have been my next uh, choice, was be to uh, go to Loughborough College, tip the A-levels, go to Loughborough and become a sports teacher. Uh, that that would be my fallback aim. But yeah. I still had that feeling. I, I wanted to give it everything to try and be a professional footballer. And um, I remember... From talking to you before, Keith, that your your dad and a, a well known Cholton name had a role to play in getting your getting your trial match organised. Yes, it's quite amazing, really. Um, my father worked for Fords for in the end about twenty years, just on the uh, system there. He worked all through the night, you know, yep. two weeks through the night, one week during the day. Anyway, he uh, a ex Cholton player called Eric Lancelot. Yeah, played I think during the forties, fifties. Um, worked in the same uh, Fords plant in Woolwich and uh, Dagenham, and yep. uh, he was able to make contact with Charlton. And through his influence, I managed to get a trial just when I was fifteen. Now, for to to sort of position this for Charlton fans, who who were the management at the time? That would have been would that have been Trotter at that time? Yes, Jimmy Trotter would be manager, and soon, yeah, and after another year or so, Frank Hill became Frank manager. Hill, yeah. Um, and the trial match obviously went well, kids, did it? It, or? it, 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 it went well. Um, I, I was fantastic. I didn't score lots of goals or anything like that, but I did enough just to catch the eye and then became uh, part of the setup as a schoolboy. But unfortunately, I didn't play for the next eight months because of a knee injury. So. <laughs> I was uh, 16 and a half before I was um, oh, 15 and a half when I started but, playing for the youth team. But you see, to me, Keith, hearing that, so you have a trial match, then you you have a bad injury, and in those days, injuries took longer to heal than they possibly do now. Um, so you had a bad injury, you're, what, 15? Yes. Yet Charlton stuck by you. They must have seen something in you. This is incredible, really, isn't it? Yes, I would go along sort of once or twice a month in those days on an evening and just do some exercises so that they knew I was about. And then after the Christmas, when I was about 15 and a half, then, um, yes, they, they gave me chances to play in the youth team and uh, things took off from there. Probably the following season, once I was 16. But as, and people get worried about um, their, their sons when they're playing football, and daughters as well these days, um, when they get an injury, oh, they're going to miss all this time. You can, When you're young, you can make it up for that time. It really yes. doesn't hinder you too much. I'm a great yes. believer in that. But you hear quite a lot of people at that time who, who uh, I think a lot, a lot of it might be pub chat, when they said, oh, I could have been a player, but I got injured early. Um, you hear you, a lot of injuries in those days did finish people off, didn't they? Yes, the serious ones of cruciate ligaments, you know, broken legs that don't heal properly. Um, 
but sometimes you you still had uh, things like Oscar and that going on that was probably undiagnosed then. Um, yeah. And and rest is often a good thing. And doing other sports, um, I was sort of all round and just did some general sort of stuff. And um, yeah, I think people get too worried about oh having to play every week and having time off from things. Yeah. When you're young, you can recover and you can rest. Don't do any harm at all. Well, clearly, because uh, you joined the club and uh, so you're a young player. So it took another two years, really, before you got a chance of a first-team game, wasn't it? It was 1962, I believe. It was. Uh, at the beginning of 62, I was getting started to get into the reserve side and I, I had a habit of scoring goals and I was playing in the reserves. Um, so coming up at the end of that 61-62 season, uh, I was offered the chance to be professional, which was uh, really quite an amazing acceleration from nowhere almost to becoming a chance to uh, be offered the job. And I your your dad night. must have been very proud of you at that time, Keith, too. He, you know, uh, from that initial trial and, the, and then going through the injury and then becoming a pro at Charlton, that, that must have been a special moment for the family as well. It, it was, and particularly my father. My, my dad was a great influence uh, on never giving up, carry yep. on, keep working hard, and things will turn out for the best, or, or the best you can possibly get. So he really was a big influence. And he, he taught me really to be... Um, you know, if you have a chance of being a footballer, yes, you don't want to go through life because I was expected to go through the college route, the university, um, and the grammar school, the headmaster was uh, quite disgusted, really, that I was actually going into football when I told him. <laughs> he said, you're just throwing away your whole education. Uh, but of course, Keith, to, to sort of position this for people... You're, you aren't going into a profession, let's be honest, like today, where, where the salaries are very high. Um, it, not for everybody, but they are very high, or can be, if you if you achieve the highest. Salaries weren't so high in those days, were they? No, the maximum wage, just before I actually signed in 1962, the, uh, the maximum wage the year before had been £20 a week. That was capped. Yeah. But then... Uh, Jimmy Hill, through Jimmy Hill, it was raised, it was taken off, there was no cap, and Johnny Haynes was given a £100 a week. Everyone was flabbergasted, saying, how could anyone spend £100 in one week? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, obviously, money, incredible. £100 was a lot more in those days, but, uh, yeah, so it wasn't what it is now. Well, Jim, but, Jimmy Hill, you mentioned Jimmy Hill throughout uh, this, I, you know, I think I'm pretty sure we'll be mentioning quite a few famous old names, but just on Jimmy Hill, uh, later in, later when I got into football, um, Jimmy became quite an important part of, uh, of my career because, uh, apart from the fact he was a Charlton director at one point, wasn't he, um, uh, before my time, but uh, the Football League, he was a director of the Football League um, when I worked there. So, uh, But Jimmy was such a visionary, wasn't he? I mean, all-seater stadium and everything. So um, the maximum wage was just the first of his uh, innovations, really. Yes, as PFA chairman, uh, he was able to change the, 
the whole look of football in many ways. He was a visionary and, and did great for the, for the team and for the players at that time. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about um, uh, so the proud moment signing as a pro, but it must have been an even more proud moment when you got your debut. And I seem to recall from previous chats with you and everything that it was because a certain um, Charlton great uh, had played cricket during this co-season as well. At that time, you had cricket footballers, didn't you? Uh, you got your chance, didn't you? Yes, Stuart Leary, I used to watch him as a kid play. He was a magnificent player, coming towards the end of his career. But uh, he he wanted to have a break uh, a bit longer um, after this cricket season, to have a few more weeks off. Tiger Hill was the manager, said, no, you can't, you'll be there on time for pre-season. Uh, and he didn't turn up which, strangely enough, gave me a chance when I look back. I'd only been training five weeks. We started the season and suddenly I had a chance um, to get in the first team. I was taken to Sunderland. It was about the third game of the season. Went to Sunderland and my name was last on the list. So you had 11 players and it would just be put on the notice board. Uh, The last name was Peacock. So I thought, oh, that's very kind of them. They're, they're taking me along to see, mm, you know. Yeah. I, my family come from up there, doing me a favour. And as as the twelfth man, as it were, that d- doesn't play. Well, this was before substitutes, of course. No substitutes. I don't know who that was, but someone who became a first substitute. And it was yes. Yeah. Um, but yes, went up there, not expecting to play. Push, pushing the big skip along with all the kiss and boots in there. Yeah. Um, Got to Roker Park Hotel and then still not expecting to play. And I was told an hour and a half before the kickoff that I'm playing. Completely. Now, what were you, 17? I was 17 in a few months, yes. 17. So just even just being part of the away team at Roker Park. Uh, and for uh, fans who've never went there, it, the, the Roker Roar was a very famous part of football, wasn't it? Um, Roker Park, one of those famous old stadiums that was full to the rafters in those days. And um, that must have been daunting, Keith. Well, it was. I mean, obviously, uh, it would have been unnatural if I wasn't nervous beforehand. I was uh, perhaps a little bit shaken as I was doing my bootlaces up. And even I was still in awe of the very players I was playing with. You know, it's Sam Laurie, um, Mike Bailey playing in the team. Dennis Edwards was up front. Um, and in the opposition, we actually was... Uh, Brian Clough playing for Sunderland but I wasn't even worrying about the opposition I was just looking about the, the dressing room being one of the first team players nervous but when I got on the field and when I heard that rope roar it was just deafening you couldn't hear yourself speak but I suddenly lost any nerves you know I just yeah. got home yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean you mentioned a couple of them but uh for Charlton fans, some of these players that you made your debut with are, are great Charlton names, legendary Charlton names. Well, let's run through a few. Well, in goal was an ex-Sunderland player, Peter Wankham, who was one of my one of my favourite goalkeepers ever for Charlton Athletic. Yes. <laughs> um, Peter Wankham, that's a special day for him, of course. He was going back to Sunderland. Yeah. Um, he was a good goalkeeper, yes. But you also had people like Brian Topnorm and and, and uh, Marvin Hinton, of course, in that team. Yes, Toki, good player, great friend as well at the time. Marvin was a class player, went on to play for Chelsea. Um, he was an under-23 international, had a great career with Chelsea as well. 
Um, Mike Bailey, yeah, a magnificent captain. John Huey played in that game. Uh, Brian Brian Kinsey did. Dennis Edwards, who, who sadly Dennis, died recently, didn't he? Yes, he did. Uh, Dennis played up front there. Yeah, and I, I played so just as an inside forward, just behind him. So in the in the Sunderland team, so because obviously this this is an incredible debut you're making, and you're up to Roker Park, you're against Sunderland, and in goal was Jim Montgomery. Yes. Um, and centre half would have been Charlie Hurley. Yeah, the great Charlie Hurley. He, he was a total legend up there, and a fellow called Stan Anderson. Yes. Um, I think Hurd played at centre forward, who went on to play for Arsenal, I think. Mm. Um, and of course, Brian Clough. Yeah, superb player. People, people know, might know him as a, a, a you know a very successful, very um, uh, enigmatic manager. But what a great player he was as well before his career was cut short by injury. Yes, it was only a few months after that game um, that he broke his leg and never played again, and went to management, as you said, when he was quite young. Yeah. Now, you lost that game, um, didn't you? Um, yes, lost 1-0. Uh, yeah, 1-0, yeah. Um, and uh, what was your next, what was your actual, let's, let's move it forward now, so you've made your debut. Um, what's, what was your first game actually at the Valley, Keith, playing for the first team? The first game was the following week, I think it was. Um, we, we had Luton Town at home. Um, I wasn't due to play, uh, and Brian went, got to the ground at two o'clock, was told Brian Kinsey, who was the left winger then, I'd never played on the left wing at all, um, I was told, you're playing on the left wing, um, and uh, that was it, that was an hour before the kickoff. We beat Luton 2-0, and I managed to score a header from uh, Sam Laurie Cross, yeah, the favourite goal was called Bainham, Ron Bainham. He had played three times for England, you know, good goalkeeper. But uh, obviously it was, a, it was a day to remember, actually scoring on your home debut. And uh, yeah, the family were there to see me play for the first time. It was terrific. Well, it must have been an incredible occasion. And you went on to establish yourself in, in the Charlton team, of course. Um, and in the 60s, you were up against uh, some iconic, iconic players and some some emerging great teams. One being Leeds United, of course, and you had some famous games against the great Leeds players, didn't you, at that time? Yes, indeed. In those early sixties, um, going to up to Leeds. The first time I went up there, we lost four-one. Norman Hunter will be playing. Jackie Charlton. Uh, called Collins, Billy Bremner, Johnny Giles, who's just got getting ready to come in the side as well. He'd just come. Uh, Billy Bremner more or less took Bobby Collins's place, didn't he? He did, yes. And so I think that was the following season, um, in the 63 64 season, probably, uh, that we played these games. And, and Bremner was the sort of player that I mean, he's a great player. But he was actually told by Don Revy. I remember when I spoke to Bremner many years later, he was told that if he doesn't toughen up and look after himself and sometimes have to kick someone before they kicked you, being a centre midfielder, then he wouldn't be finding himself in the team. 
and Bremner really started looking after himself. Yeah, and how? Uh, and how. I, I was on the wrong side of a particularly nasty tackle that left me through the summer with uh, stud marks from my, uh, above my head down one side of my whole leg. Yeah. I bet he helped you up, though, afterwards. <laughs> no, it wasn't, it wasn't even a free kick. They wouldn't give free kicks for that. That was nothing. <laughs> Back in, that, in the 60s, every man for themselves. No videos. Um, yeah, play on, play on. So um, the 60s, of course, was also a, a time when Charlton uh, developed some, some great young players as well. Keep apart from yourself, I mean, you, it's also the time when uh, people like Billy Bonds and Peter Reeves emerged, of course. Um, and Billy went on to have an incredible career, didn't he, uh, at West Ham? But we, 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 to this day, we're renowned for developing young talent at Charlton, and it, you could see that right as early as the 60s, couldn't you? Absolutely, and just before going on to those players that you've mentioned there, I would mention another player that I was playing against um, very soon. After, it was about the eighth, ninth game of the season. Uh, played against Stanley Matthews. Now this is like today. It's like playing against Messi. He was yes. football yes. Uh, footballer of the year, I think, in Europe, certainly in England. He was a magical player, but he was coming to the end of his career. He's 47. Um, it was like playing against my granddad, really. I'm 17, he's 47. I'm thinking, surely he can't. I must be quicker than him. <laughs> but he was magical. They beat us. We played on alternate Tuesdays. Uh, they beat us 6-3 up there, and he he was just, he played spasms, but he was unstoppable. Then he played at the Valley, and instigated a 3-0 win, um, much to our uh, demise on that day. And that was Lenny Glover's uh, first game for the club. Lenny Glover's debut. Um, I remember um, my dad said that I went to that game. He took me to that game. Well, of course, I, I don't really remember that, because I think I'd have been about six but, uh, or seven. But um, at least I can say, according to my dad, bless him, uh, at least I can say I saw Stanley Matthews play at the Valley, but um, that was Len Glover's debut, of course, as you just said, um, and who went, on, who went on to have a great career. I mean, 47, you'd never, I mean, players are fit now, Keith. Players are arguably fitter than they've ever been now, but you you can't see an outside, an outfield player playing until 47, can you? No, no, you couldn't see that, but he was phenomenal because, um, I mean, I was totally in awe of him. I'd only seen him on the TV. As to see him walk, before the first game, walking in the hotel, I just, my jaw must have dropped and hit the ground just seeing him there. Um, uh, but he, he was just different. He was already, he would fast on a Monday. Yeah. It was a recovery day, but uh, when I spoke to him, he'd fast on the Monday, only drink. Uh, liquid, you know, there's like yep. a detox, I suppose. He, he was in the leanest of conditions. Uh, he was naturally very, very quick and had a body swerve that sent people falling out on, of the stadium. Um, but, uh, yeah, he just was so fit and so fit looking. I didn't meet him again until I was in America, in Toronto, and had the pleasure of talking to him um, out in Toronto where he was doing some football uh, coaching stuff 
and he, he hardly looked a day older. He was in magnificent, magnificent specimen, way ahead of his time. Well, he, he certainly was, and I had the pleasure of meeting him as well. For the, the young boy from Plumstead, I had the pleasure of meeting him when I represented the Football League at Stoke City, and um, it was a sponsorship. I think it was a Yokohama Tires Award, I think. And uh, sadly, Matthews presented it um, to uh, Stoke City captain at the time. Um, and it was an incredible, incredible to me. And as you say, the, the man had an aura about him then. So to play against him must have just been incredible. Um, yeah, but, I mean, I mean, the, the 60s were uh, an interesting era for, for Chom because we, we had a good, we had good sides, Keith, didn't we? And we, we got close a couple of times as well, didn't we, to promotion? Yes. Um, soon after that first season where we... We were talking about the 62-63, just escaped relegation, last game of the season. Um, the next season, who came to us was Eddie Fermani. And yeah. there was a player, the best striker what a player has ever had. He what was coming player. towards the end of his career, unfortunately, but he's gone to a... It started with Charlton, went uh, out to Sampdoria, then Genoa, and then came back many years later. But he was just a pleasure to play with, and uh, and with him coming back in '63-'64, we came third top. I was mainly on the sidelines, and I, I only played eleven games mm. that season because, quite rightly, he certainly took my place, and uh, uh, he, he he then helped us almost get promotion. Just fell short. Then came the middle of the years where we had, as you say, good players coming through. Yeah, like young players. Billy Bonds came through, um, and he he was such a quiet fella. And that we had a manager, Tiger Hill, who just roared at you and yelled and was most you know hmm. not, not what you'd think of as a modern day manager. This was Tiger, aptly named Tiger. Um, behaved like one at times, you know. Well, they used to be military men, didn't they? You know, they used to be called Sergeant Major types, didn't they, in those days, managers? Um, yes. A lot of them. There's certainly quite a few, and he was one that you, you just didn't argue with. And um, uh, Billy Bonds would fade into the background a bit. He didn't really want to be in five-a-size when Tiger was there. But then he got in the side, and in... A year, two years, he may have been with us. He was one so exciting and one of the most uh, athletic, determined, uh, all-round players as a defender in the yeah. as possible. It was fantastic. Yeah, um, and should have said under Eddie Fermani when same came back, but he, he, he had an incredible career in Italy, of course, didn't he? And he went, he, even though he was South African, wasn't he? Um, Yes, he went on to have a, a great career in Italy and represented Italy as well. And then he came back to us, um, and I remember that period because there was there was a game that stuck in my mind from from then. And Billy probably played in it. Billy Bonds probably played in it. You'll tell me. But it, it was it was a game at the Valley, Keith. That I remember against um, Cardiff, and and I remember the newspapers billing this as Eddie Fermani versus John Charles. Um, and there were pictures. Fans might have these pictures of the packed valley with with people hanging from those old floodlights. Um, 
um, we we went on to win that game. Did, did you play in that game, Keith? Uh, no, no, I didn't. Um, I was um, learning my trade now, although I've been in the first first in 30 times, 30 appearances at 17. At 18, I'm now really having to go back for Marnie comes in. He came in after about 10 games of that season. Uh, this is just before Billy Bonds, actually. You know, you mentioned him. Um, and he made all the difference. He doubled the crowd. Can you imagine we had, like, average 12,000? And it, the crowd doubled just of the fact he was coming back playing. 20, yeah. 20 or 1,000. Yeah. He was special and almost almost got this promotion. Well, let's, let's uh, carry on talking about a little bit further then because we're in 1965. Um, um, something that you're reminded of quite a lot, Keith, but you became the first substitute in football, didn't you? I did. Um... <laughs> I played nearly all of the games in pre-season. We're playing Bolton away, always a tough game. Um, travel up there, get to the ground. I'm fully expecting to play. Bob Soko was the manager. Yeah, he pulled me aside and said that uh, he's going to have me a sub. And well, sub just meant you're going to stand, sit there on the side in full kit, chimpanzee and everything. And you're not going to get on because you only got on... If, if there was an injury, really, wasn't it? With an yeah. injury. And it had to be... In those days, players would back on with, you know, cut heads and yeah. groin strains and all that. They would not come off the field. Um, so it had to be a serious injury. Uh, after 11 minutes, I, I was probably still just... Well, not sulking, but almost. <laughs> <laughs> it was disappointed. Um, and the goalkeeper, Mike Rose was injured after 11 minutes and I was on the field. Fortunately, he didn't have to play in goal. I was going to um, say. I think that was John Huey on that day. I think would have... Um, probably, yes. John Huey or Kenzo. I'd have to think back on that one now. Um, and... Um, but you went into the history books, though, Keith, didn't you? It, you know, you were the first ever Football League substitute. And I know. Well, it gave you a title for your book as well, didn't it? <laughs> it did, yeah, it gave me a natural title because I wasn't substitute too many times. Uh, but I was the first, and we didn't think anything of it. Um, coming back on the train from Manchester, it got the Manchester Pink, and it had a little one liner in there, a bit of a mention in some of the papers, but nothing too, too much. A lot of people were against it. They were saying, well, what's happening to English football? <laughs> Having to have people come on. What are we men or mice going yeah. out there? It yeah. really was. I look back on some of those, um, I think more people were against it than were for it. Right. Um, but, of course, it soon changed. Yeah. You, you mentioned the football, you mentioned on the pink a lot of people might think, what What was that? But in those days, uh, a lot of regional papers had pink newspapers, which were effectively the, the, the results roundups and the uh, football news, weren't they? Yes. The, the great thing about these uh, papers, they would be out. So we left uh, Bolton. By the time we got to Manchester, you know, 20 minutes later, whatever, got on the train. The pink paper was out there, as back in... Uh, London, Evening Standard, Evening News would come out. They'd have all the full-time results and they'd have reports on the game up until half-time, which is 
quite incredible. Quite it? incredible, really. Yeah, yeah. it was yeah. the uh, it was the uh, internet of its time, really, wasn't it? I suppose. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, well, let's let's because obviously we're going to be moving into the seventies soon, but let's just talk a little bit more about um, uh, finding you know, some of the great players who played for Charlton with you in those days, and we we've got to talk about people who had a huge impact. Uh, people like Charlie Wright, legendary goalkeeper in goal, um, who, who who made that position his own, Keith, didn't he? He did. I think Charlie is was one of the best, looking back, one of the best goalkeepers we had. You know, I believe Dean Kiley was right up there, and obviously Nicky Johnson, Bob Boulder. Yeah. But Charlie was very good. He was an entertainer as well. He was, yeah. And with, with him coming in the, that middle part of the 60s, uh, we brought, brought in through Bob Stoko more than um, would be bringing in players of that were uh, old older players tried and tested. Uh, one such player was pretty must have mentioned would be Cliff Holton. Oh, Cliff Holton was he, he was uh, incredibly. Uh, he, I mean, he had an impact straight away, Keith, didn't he? A child, I remember as a young boy watching. He, he was uh, yes, uh, he was about six one two. He, he was really getting old. <laughs> he must have been about thirty four, thirty five, maybe thirty five, and that seems so old to me as being a, a twenty year old, a twenty one yeah. year old. Um, but he would often be picked up on like a free transfer to go to a club and give them a lift. Yeah. Um, we were bottom this season, about 60, uh, 66-ish, round about then. Uh, Bob Stoker was the manager, and he got in Cliff Holton. We were bottom of the league. We were playing the Ipswich away, Cliff's debut. We were on the coach, and he just picked up the microphone as we are going to the ground. He's saying, don't worry, lads. Uh, you're going to win the first game away from home this season. I have always been on the win side uh, on my debut and I always score. So really relax, have a good time, it'll work out well. <laughs> and with Lenny Glover and I were playing and we were going, oh, he's so confident there. <laughs> and he took over. I mean, hadn't done that before, anyone just taking the mic. Um, no, I, I can imagine. If you did that today, people would go sit down. Sit down, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, some of the older players, you know, perhaps Ron Saunders was found there and sort of looked at him as if to say, well, you're coming up with a bit of, a, you know, a propaganda there. Um, anyway, we got there. We won 4-1. <laughs> Holton scored. I scored. I, I scored one direct from a corner, so it's a complete fluke. Um, but we were believing. We are believing. He's, he's right. He said we're going to we beat them 4-1. They were about third third top in the league. And we were bottom and won. And it was halfway through the season and won away from home. So he made a tremendous impact on the team. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes. Until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And, and, and you mentioned another uh, player just in passing there, but Ron Saunders, of course. Ron Saunders, yes. Uh, again, uh, Bob Sucker was going for these older players that uh, uh, were good and, and sound players. And Ron came in and I particularly liked him. He took me under his wing. Uh, he was built like uh, so strongly, like the players are now, but kind of thicker set. You know, stomachs were like iron. Uh, they called him Popeye at Portsmouth <laughs> <laughs> because he had such big pop, um, bulge, bulging biceps. Yeah, um, but he taught me a lot, and I knew he would go on to be a, a, a great manager. Which well, he, certainly, he certainly did that, of course. And a good, a good centre forward. Yeah, but um, we can't move on from the sixties without talking about that that great team um, in in sixty eight, sixty nine under Eddie Fermani, um, which just narrowly lost out on promotion, didn't it? It did, yes. Eddie came in 68, uh, took over from uh, 67, I think, actually. Took over from Bob Stoker. Um, we, we lost, uh, I'm just thinking, we, his first game against Aston Villa, we won 3-1. Harry Gregory would be playing, Paul Went, myself. Uh, and we finished that season quite well. Then the next season... We were ready to go, and we had Matt Tease up front with Ray Tracy. Oh, I mean, they were that was a double act that I really, really enjoyed watching Keep as, as a supporter. Yes, um, they had everything, you know. Matt Tease was imperious in the air, of course, wasn't he? He was, he was as lean as a bean. Training, he was so far behind the rest of us, in, just in the warm up. He would only really wanted to play in goal in five a side. It seems strange now. Mm. Allegedly, five a side at the end, he'd always want to play in goal so he didn't have to um, waste too much energy. But on the Saturday, he would be like a chased and he fought, and he was one of the best headers that uh, in football that I've seen. He could rise so well. Yeah, great, great, great player, but. He, that team, as I say, we narrowly lost out. I think we came third that year, didn't we? To uh, I think it was Palace and Derby County, I think. Um, but we narrowly lost out. But I mean, you mentioned T T's and Triacy, but apart from Charlie Wright, who I mentioned, but uh, Bob Curtis had replaced um, effectively Billy Bonds, hadn't he? Brian, Brian Kinsey, Paul Went and Reeves, Peter Reeves. I mean, Peter would have had a much longer career if it hadn't have been curtailed by injury, wouldn't it? It would. I mean, that, that team sort of almost spoke for itself, like Charlie Wright, uh, Bob Curtis at right back, Wenty, he got an injury, he was taken over by Kears for a while, uh, but Wenty was fantastic, centre-half, so powerful, biggest guys I'd seen in football at that stage. Uh, Peter Rees would mark, man-mark out the danger men from the other side. Kinsey was the, the all-round player playing steadily at left-back. We had Harry Gregory right side of midfield with a great combination in midfield of Graham Moore and Campbell being the 
the clever instigator of uh, Alan, Alan Campbell was a very clever player and, and, and alongside Graham Moore that, that was a very strong midfield pairing wasn't it very strong very strong indeed and I, I loved playing with him I was on the, the left wing then and with Tease and, and Gray Tracy up front two fantastic headers of the ball um, you, I could put rubbish crosses in there for them and, uh, that's still the ball that goal um, Graham Moore and, and, and uh, Campbell, Alan Campbell, were, were very, they, they matched, they blended with one another. Big Graham had no pace but could spray the ball 50 yards out wide and would uh, physically be strong to stand up to people. And Alan Campbell had that bit of uh, shrewdness about his play. He could have done a lot better. Probably looking back uh, at those, those careers, which was perhaps, you know, people would like a drink, uh, players would like a drink uh, in midweek a bit, sometimes a little bit too heavily. Um, <laughs> and uh, looking back, perhaps uh, a player like Anna Campbell could have done even better than he did. Uh, I think so. I think he, I think he was uh, one of my favourite Charlton players, certainly. But I, I just want to mention a, a little bit about Peter Reeves because um, I, I know... He used to have famous battles where he'd mark Rodney Marsh, wouldn't he? He did, and uh, Rodney Marsh eventually uh, got transferred from QPR after, QPR yep. after uh, many years um, being the star man and the one to watch in the, what was it, Division 2, the championship now. Um, and he went to Man City, and I remember coming back on the train, we had been playing uh, Blackburn or someone, and... Uh, Rodney was on the same train and he said, uh, I said, oh, how things going? He well, yeah, Fanny Lee's working with and uh, Summerbeer and all, Bell, Colin Bell, with great players. He said, it's so much easier. He said, I'm just so glad to get out of Division 2 and get away from Peter Reeves. <laughs> he said, I'd ever give me a kid. He landmarked me. And, and that sort of player was... Uh, about in, in those mid sixties, you would mark you would mark the danger man out of the the game. If you could stop someone like Marsh or Stan Bowles, and that later, yeah, they've done a great job and influenced the game so much. No, they certainly did, and uh, um, the, it was the best tackler. I've got to say this: the best and fairest tackler, which is hard to do when you think of Norman mm. Hunters, who I played against, mm. uh, Chopper Harrison. That the so-called hardman, he was a tackler that would win the ball fairly. He was only booked about four times, I believe, in his whole career. Which is quite amazing, isn't it? Absolutely, he was just such a, a clean, strong tackler, and uh, you know, good someone you always wanted on your side. Would have gone to play over five hundred games uh, had he not got, had he not been injured. Keith, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna move forward now into the into the next uh, era, the seventies, um, and of course this is the era um, uh, where we, we we see the the emergence of of the the great Powell, Howes, Flanagan, Peacock, and Quartet. But Eddie Fermani sadly um, was sacked, which is a sad ending for some. You know, a great Charlton legend as he as he was, and Theo, who was coach, I think, um, was um, 
promoted as manager, and that was what seventy seventy one season. Yes, the seventy seventy one season. I think that was. Um, I remember the date quite clearly because we lost. We played Leicester City at home, and we lost five one, um, which was not a good result at home. <laughs> no, yes, you can imagine. So it comes to the end of the seventy nineteen seventy, I think it was. Um, lost five one at home. Unbeknownst to when we left the ground, I actually I just moved into a house in Oakhampton Crescent in Welling, and in those days you'd have be expected to have if you moved into a new home you'd be expected to have a housewarming party. <laughs> It was just, you know, if you didn't, everyone would look at you and say, well, what's going on? <laughs> Having said that, we had parties quite often in those days. Yeah, I could imagine. Uh, yeah. We used to celebrate uh, whether we, if we lost, we celebrated. Um, if we, lo- uh, sorry, if we lost, we obviously drowned our sorrows. Uh, if we won, we celebrated. And it, the only time we didn't have a party was when we drew. Anyway, um, this party was to for the housewarming and I'm thinking, I've come back 500 feet. I've got, we've got Leslie's got everything laid out. We spent a lot of money on drinks and food. My grandmother was there and my mum and dad. And they were the only ones. And it's now 10.15. And I'm going, oh, no one's going to turn up here. It was just after 10.15. Suddenly, all the players came in with wives, girlfriends, etc. Um, and that night... Um, was uh, the start. what happened was the next day, um, Eddie was sacked, you know, yeah, um, and Theo Foley took over. Well, let's talk about Theo. Um, he joined as a player, but he was coming to the end of his career, of course. Then uh, I think injury got the better of him, but he was a very good coach and he took over from Eddie. And of course, he was responsible for bringing in people like. Arthur Horsfield, for instance, um, Colin Powell, Mike Flanagan. Yes. An, incredi- an incredible um, recruitment campaign that he went on. The number one was Theo as a coach. For me, he was my, the most influential man in terms of on the professional side. He helped me so much, encouraged me. And then when he became manager, um, you know, he... He had a different role to play. Yeah. As a coach, he was superb. And what he did have, the other great talent, he had a great eye for a player. Mm. It was helped with Les Gore, was he? Uh, yeah, I remember Les Gore. Scout back in those days. And so yes. Confer with him. But he got some players in, like you mentioned, Arthur Horsfield, who did a magnificent job. Scored something like, um, I don't know, 50, 60 goals for us in a two or three seasons. Yes, but he also played a lot of those games at centre-half as well. He, he did at the end. He'd score from set plays then. Um, and, uh, yeah, he, he was terrific. Um, a great target man, a superb header of the ball, and so powerful. He, You know, when the ball was knocked into him, he could hold it up. Yeah. There was him. Colin Powell, as you say, Paddy, when he came... He was, he was not like the usual wingers who would maybe, what I called, dance at their fullback. You know, like, say, the Matthews and the Tom Finney's, they would, they would slow the game, 
swerve and push it past. Paddy had this uh, very elegant, long-striding style. <laughs> Extremely elegant style, didn't he? he yeah, he did, you know, um, and he seemed to be at ease. And whereas, say, uh, a lot of players maybe that wingers would be so the game down and be sharp after over about 15 yards and cross the ball. He would go on about three-quarter pace and then get in his stride and go even faster. Um, like you would imagine a, a 200-metre runner going. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, in fact, the pitch was too small for him, I think, looking back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he was ele- elegant in his style and he had a great he was able to cross the ball superbly dropping the ball between centre back and full back it just timed it superbly you knew it was coming in um, exceptional player um, and, and of course Derek Howes Derek Howes was different yes <laughs> he turned up <laughs> and uh, he had black, long black hair down to his shoulders he had a moustache down to his shoulders, a beard, past <laughs> his shoulders. <laughs> and Knowing him last night's dinner in his beard as well. <laughs> it, it, of course, he, he's gone for the change of colour now. You know, white. Yes, he's gone white. for the Uncle Albert look at the moment, yeah. I think. That, I mean, the best. Best goal scorer at the club was no. Oh, without a shadow of a doubt. So he goes past Eddie Fermani in terms of actual goal goal scoring. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But he he was uh, and first seeing him, he had come from Luton Hundy for about six thousand or something. Yeah. Um, and you know, you have the normal banter and I, I said something to him early doors, just a bit of banter on the trainer field. And he just slowly looked at me. <laughs> and I thought, I, I may not say that again. <laughs> but he, he never did anything. He just, just had that look. And, of course, he, he looked so um, aggressive in his movement because uh, he was quick, sharp, and uh, he, he didn't mind a bit of physical contact. No, uh, he didn't. I, mean, he, I think he quite enjoyed it. <laughs> he, he enjoyed giving it out, that's for sure. If anyone hit yeah. him, he would make sure uh, they got it threefold back. But that was happening more back in those days. Keith, when I, when I played Sunday football, everyone, especially as a younger player, all those teams in those days had, had someone who protected you. Someone who, who would get the retribution back if you'd been harshly dealt with by a player. Yeah. Was was Housey that type of player? Um, he would be in a way, but we we had a couple of big fellas in the side that were would say so. Paddy Paddy got kicked a couple of times and threatened by the fullback. Yeah. <laughs> uh, particularly, remember one game we were playing abroad in a, a pre-season friendly and. Uh, you know, he's been shoved around, Paddy, by this fullback. Looked as though it could get a bit nasty. Arthur Horsfield, Jimmy Giles were over there in a the flash and threatened their fullback. If he touched his lovely blonde hair, um, they wouldn't look so good after the game. <laughs> so you had, you did, as you quite rightly say, I hadn't thought about that, but you, you did have the reminders. Yes. Yeah, each team had them. Um, yeah. 
and so uh, other players came in. Let's 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 talk but because they were so the seventy. We played some stunning football, and we just we just didn't reach the heights we should have done. I think, but we, I mean, players like Jimmy Giles, mm. you know, again a Theo in Paul, wasn't he? Uh, yes, Theo got him, you know, from down from Exeter area that Theo knew well. Um, and uh, Jimmy did a good job for us and a great character. And um, before mentioning another player, but just on, on Jimmy, he had a face um, and uh, had been smashed about in football a bit, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So we used to unkindly say that. Look, we need someone at the near post to do the flick on where the goalkeeper comes up, punch, trying to punch, usually to punches the opposition uh, person in that position at the near post. And um, he he played bravely in there and um, made many a goal. Yeah, made many goals. And for the likes of Mike Flanagan, who came. Oh, absolutely no mention. Mike Mike came from Spurs, didn't he? And yes. um, um, came as a young winger, I think. He did. He did. Now I, I was, you know, I needed to start playing in midfield. So, but I was still playing on the wing. He came along, um, and I did say to Theo, he will be best down the middle. Now that wasn't because I. Um, I was he wanted him out of the way. <laughs> yeah, I wanted him out of the way. Uh, I could see the way he held the ball up. He didn't have a natural uh, swerve of the body uh, to send a fullback the, 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 the wrong way. So I didn't think he had that guile. Put him up front, and which he eventually did. And, of course, he was uh, one of the best all-round strikers that we've had over the years. Oh, superb so, and, 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 of course, Theo... Let's move that on now because we obviously we did win promotion during the 70s and that was in the 74-75 season. But um, uh, Theo had, uh, had left now. Theo had uh, lost, lost out and um, uh, a guy called Andy Nelson took over from him, didn't he? Yes, formerly he got promotion with Gillingham the year, year before. He was an ex-Ipswich ex centre-half, wasn't he, Andy? Yes, he worked under... Alf Ramsey and uh, was very knowledgeable, um, completely different character to Theo. Uh, Theo could spot a player, as I said, and uh, was in with the players and great on the training field. Andy Nelson ruled with an iron rod, really. What he said goes, we are doing this, we are playing this way, that is it. If you don't do it, you're out. How did strong characters, and you mentioned a couple earlier, and of course Halsey, how did strong characters react to that type of management key? Well, as you bring up Halsey, it was perfect for Halsey because what he wanted, but he insisted no high balls into the box. Hmm. Right? We played balls down the side and we whipped the ball in low, low crosses for our strikers, being um, Halsey in particular, Flanagan. Could do, you know, it was quick. He, he was no giant in there, and we were able to score a lot of goals through having this ability to cross early um, and low balls, and everyone was expecting that. And if you shot, if you had a shot from outside the box, um, you would be criticised and you could lose your place. Really? Uh, yeah. You had to get towards that byline, hit balls across. Um, and he was playing the percentage game. When I look back, he was like a bookkeeper saying, look, 
the odds of scoring from so far out, unless you're like Peter Lorimer or a Mike Kenny, um, you you play the percentage one, and we got into that habit. He he had a, a clever way of thinking that was not in the coaching book. Never ever lift the uh, when you're playing away from home. Never do something silly like give a corner away or get called in possession in you know especially the first half now to lift the crowd, the away crowd. You know the the crowd we're playing away. Yes, yes. Um, simple little things they were, um, but he would not have. If you made that mistake and you went against what he said, then you'd come out the side. And there were players. They were put, he built a squad there, didn't he? Because he'd added to the the players that Sierra uh, brought in. Uh, brought in with people like, of course, Dave Young came came down, didn't he? Um, yes. yes, Dave Young came down. He was there for a, probably about a season and a half, Dave. Yeah, two seasons maybe. But um, uh, he had played a steady, good, solid uh, performances. He gave yes. And at that time, of course, players like Rich Cheek, Richie Bowman, Peter Hunt, Phil Warman, they came to the fore as well. Right. Yes. But they were all players that had been nurtured by Theo. Yeah. Then you add on Flanagan and Hales and Jimmy Charles and different players like that. He had brought, and Cyril Davis, you know, these were yes. a nucleus of players. So the team was there um, and they just... Uh, had to play in a more, I suppose you could say, disciplined, but a, a, a one way of playing, which kind of dulled your instincts as a, a player that liked to be doing something different and more, play more intricate football, more ball-playing football. This was more direct. But it worked. It got us out of that division. Um, and, of course, at that time, other players like Richie Bowman, Peter Hunt, Phil Warman, uh, Cyril Davis. We never mentioned Cyril Davis came to the fore. No, he was um, like a almost a slightly lesser player to Alan Campbell, but on those lines, you know, had the look of Alan Campbell as well, didn't he? <laughs> he had a similar hairstyle, um, but he, he unfortunately had a, a bad injury um, at Birmingham and did his knee ligaments, and that curtailed his career with Charlton. Um, but all those players that you've mentioned there, to add to that, to the Flanagans, Powells um, and Halsey, the players that Theo got into the club, and it was just then changing the way we played, Yes, uh, actually got us promotion. It wasn't... Most of the players, that Phil Warman, wouldn't be happy. I know he and I would like to try and play more uh, exciting football in a way. Um and uh, but no, you had to do certain things, there. and we did it, and we got promotion. So it proved the right thing in terms of that. You know, getting promotion uh, was the thing we had to get back into the division two. Absolutely, absolutely. And um, uh, but uh, the next season, um, we had quite a decent position in the league, as I recall, but. We, we lost Derek Howells, of course, and that changed the way the, the team had to play. But, I mean, Derek left for over 300000 to Derby County. Yes, and, and obviously a, a big miss. We started uh, well, I think the first season or so, um, when we got promotion. Um, and Howells, 
for a couple of seasons there was knocking the goals in uh, at will and he got better and better and more confident we knew how to play to his strengths um, he could hit balls in at any any time any way the ball bounced it would end up on target so he was tremendous and of course Flanagan um, was an exceptional player as well so they, they had a nice blend going there uh, I remember as a fan being absolutely distraught when Derek left, but uh, um, as I think most Charlton fans were. But then we saw another aspect of Mike Flanagan because he he, he took the lone striker role really, which was probably one of the first times a lone striker, one up front, was was being played. I would think. Yes, certainly, certainly in uh, in the championship and even the the, the top. Top league, you know. Yeah. Um, most were still playing with the two up front. One played maybe a little bit deeper. Um, but when we lost Halsey, Flano played up front and we had the Paddy on one side and Hugh McCauley came in. I, I dropped one to, to midfield. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we, we got a lot of good results and we were doing well. We were difficult to beat. Um, Phil Warman was an outstanding player that year. Peter Hunt was always good. Um, and uh, and Flano could, we kept on scoring goals, so we were difficult. We were difficult to play against, but, it, but in a nice way. We were kind of when we got the ball, we had people that could run with the ball, and we were outstanding at the set plays as well. We got so many goals. Yes, I remember we were we were deadly at set plays. I, I do remember those days. And a guy called Dick Tyman came, of course, joined us, an elegant midfield player. Yes, Dick came in from Gillingham, um, and uh, he could spray. His his big strength was his passing ability. He didn't get many goals. Um, for someone who was about six foot two, um, he we used to use him as a decoy at uh, set plays, um, put him on the near post, and someone think, "Well, he's so tall, he's got to be marked." But he would never hit the ball. But he could spray the ball from like 40, 50 yards which would open up the game and, and a real good man that was respected by all. In fact, he was my first signing when I was, uh, I took over at Chillingham later on. I remember that, yes, of course. Yeah. Um, uh, the the uh, situation then was, of course, that uh, Derek Hells came back. Uh, he did. And it wasn't, it wasn't all harmony and light, Keith, was it? No, you've got to think about the circumstances. Uh, Halsey and Flanagan were doing great together. Halsey goes 300,000, 330,000, had to go for that sort of money for Joe yeah. uh, to take it. <laughs> um, then Flano becomes the top man, the top striker. He's doing well. He goes out to America with Paddy Powell, actually, um, and he becomes a big star out there. He was a top goal scorer for New England. New England team, then, wasn't it? Yeah. Yes, they wanted him badly to come back and become their player. Um, so in that period, now he's out in New, New England. Uh, Halsey gets re-signed at the club. 
So Flanagan now, when he comes back, he has had he's been used to being the number one out in America. Yeah, and the whole of the NASL, he was probably the number one man at that time. I think he won the title most valuable player. I think he did. Yeah, um, and uh, and of course he it done a lot of goals for Charlton as well. So he was in a he wasn't the youngster, you know. Playing second fiddle to Fat Hell, as you say. No. Um, so it was, but but we were good, you know. We, you know, they were doing doing well together. Then Hell's got an injury um, and came back. Then, of course, that infamous day when we decided that we play with nine men. <laughs> yes, it, against Maidstone United in the FA Cup, and I remember it well. Yeah. I, I was. Uh, in fact, I was a, a working for Midland Bank in those days, and uh, the goalkeeper of Mayston, I cashed his cheque the next day. He came in to my branch in Grove Park the next day, right. and uh, Dickie, Dickie Guy. Dickie Guy, yeah. And, uh, you know, I asked him about it, you know, um, much to the annoyance of the huge queue behind him in the banking hall. But, um, yeah, it, it was surreal watching it from the touchline. It, I mean, it was surreal. From the terraces. Yeah. No, a most unusual situation. I had come back as on uh, on the bench because I just I was captain of the side at that uh, during those years. But um, I think the manager was thinking, oh, well, I'll, I'll rescue anyway. We should get through this game all right. Um, I came on in the second half. As I said, we were losing 1-0. Um, Flanagan, I think, pulled the goal back, made it 1-1. And he was the only one that looked half decent that night. Mm. Um, and uh, Flanagan, instead of passing, the correct ball would have been to pass to Hales. He put him through, but he decided to go alone and have a shot. Uh, words were exchanged, and um, Flan went towards Halsey, and that Halsey uh, would always react first before you know any chance of being hit. So. Off it went, and um, both players were sent off. Yeah, quite surreal, really, watching it. Yes, now we're struggling with 11 men. <laughs> <laughs> now we're down to nine. Um, and uh, lost out to main strikers for the next few weeks, which was uh, obviously hurt us, although we won the week replay. Won the replay, yeah. 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 You mentioned earlier, Keith... Um, because it did have an it did have an impact and a negative one in a lot of ways in terms of our league position. But um, you mentioned that supposed tie up with New England team men, and we we, we lost Colin Powell. Uh, they went off to the states um, and probably went a little bit too early for us, didn't they? Weakened us. That, that's so true. I mean, it's very disheartening for us all and particularly myself I've been promised that I could have this kind of like a bonus period to go out to the States um, as a, for my longevity for the club but what happened was they New England came in with a bunch of money uh, to enable it provided we would get uh, they could get Flanagan and Colin Powell yeah uh, and we had about I don't know how many games to go maybe six or eight um and Andy Nelson let them go. And, and he was in charge of that sort of situation. Yeah. Probably thought we'd be safe enough to stay up. But we lost. Our two 
two of our most effective players. We had no recognised striker. Mm. And we struggled then, those last few games, and had to actually... Um, I ended up playing, at that time in my career, I was about 32, 3, um, playing up front in those days, which <laughs> was back when I was 17 to 21. Yeah. Um, and uh, it was very, very difficult. And we had to go to Lake Norwich. Last game of the season, we had to get a draw to stay And that was one of the most nerve-wracking games I played in to hold on to our... Uh, status. I mean, that was such a self-inflicted um, damage to us that season, wasn't it? It was, it was, it was ridiculous in a lot of ways. It, it was. It was surprising, and but money talked, and probably they're thinking, well, there's a big chunk of money for us. We don't have to pay them through the summer. You know, that's going to help our finances and. And we, we should have enough to stay up. Mm. But in football, you've only got enough to stay up. Uh, we, the one time we were relegated at Charlton was in 72. And we um, that was my testimonial year. And um, we lost. We only won, uh, got two points from the last 10 games. Um, yeah. lost, drew two. So that sort of thing can happen. But fortunately, yeah. we got away with it. Yeah. No, 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 you did. It must have been. But you mentioned that uh, there was a, uh, a promise that you could go to America, and it's something I know that you wanted to do. Um, and this was the emerging time when uh, a lot of fantastic ex-players, uh, former players, well, not former, current, coming to the end of their, their careers, were going off to play in America. Um, uh, you weren't allowed to go, but you wanted the experience. Um, and it, ultimately, you, you, you did leave in '79, I think, to go to America first, didn't you, Keith? That's right. I went there. I had a year of my contract to go. We decided to uh, cancel the contract. Um, and uh, that season, we just stayed up last game of the season again many times. I had many of those. Yeah. Um, stayed up, and the next day I was flying off to Columbus and Ohio. And. Um, a whole new chapter was starting in my career, and I had to. I was obviously the fans. I couldn't let it out publicly. Andy Nelson had insisted if we did a, a, a contractual deal to finish my stay with Charlton, that we did, nothing was mentioned in the press. <laughs> that final day was. Uh, Though I didn't plan it myself, I just had a wave to the crowd. But uh, this would be money for the last time I was uh, there as a Charlton player. Yeah, it must have been quite emotional for you, Keith. It was um, nearly 600 games, great memories. And the, the thing is that I was brought up with, really, was that um, to, to play football for a living, you know, that was... My father would say, this is just a privilege for you. Mm. And, and remember, you're so lucky because everyone needs a bit of luck. Um, maybe, maybe it was him mentioned it to Eric Lancelot, a bit of luck came in there. Um, and you never you never really have to work if you're playing football because you do that for fun. Some yes. people pay money to actually play the game of football. Yes. Um, and there I was. I've had I'd had 17 years at the same club. Um, had a testimonial 
what more could I say? I was delighted to be part of a, a fantastic club. Um, okay, we didn't win many things, but we, it was no, exciting. You, 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 you and your colleagues at the time in the 60s and the 70s, you gave, you gave us supporters some tremendous experiences, some tremendous memories, some, some great performances. You played with great players. Um, and, and you scored quite a few goals, Keith, as well, didn't you? I, I did, yeah. I, and surprisingly, quite a few with your head as well. Yeah, my first one was with my head. Um, you know, not the biggest, but there were a few players like Keegan, they were very big, but he could head the ball. I wasn't as good as him. But, um, uh, you, you know, uh, used to practice quite a bit on that, particularly when I played off the striker up front in those early days. And my record was uh, just under one in the first 88 games. It was just under uh, one in three that I'd score. Um, and it, they were mainly in t times where we were towards the bottom of the league. Yes. So that was my true position to be probably uh, front of a diamond. I'd like to be playing the front of the diamond for Bovia, um, but I'll have to leave that till I'm a little bit more mature. <laughs> so, your career started in 60 at Charlton, finished in 79. But before we, we leave it for this particular period, Keith, um, before we leave it, uh, um, you had a phone call in America. You actually could have come back in 1979, couldn't you? I did. I had a phone call six months after we had arrived there. I'd signed a two-year contract with Tampa Bay Rowdies then, and I had a phone call from Michael Kitson. The chairman of the chairman at the time, yes, said um, they'd been relegated the season I left. Um, yes, so they were in the division below again. Um, interesting phone call. Perhaps we can talk about that. I think that's one for the next time, Keith. For the next decade. As we talk about the 70s and the, eight, uh, the 80s and the 90s, of course, um, for next time. But... Thanks ever so much, Keith. And uh, everyone, if you've enjoyed this podcast, and I hope you have, please consider making a donation to CACT at www.cact.org.uk forward slash donate. And any money raised will help keep CACT going and working for the community at this extremely difficult time. CACT officers are doing a marvellous job. So, Keith, thank you very much indeed. We'll yes. talk again when we talk about the 80s and the 90s. Thank you, Steve. And yes, exactly what Sue said about supporting CAT. Fantastic what they're doing. And if you can get behind them, please do.